welcome to The Messy Mezzo, a podcast where we discuss the messiness of midlife, emotional growth, and the journey towards achieving our goals. As entrepreneurs, mothers, and women in midlife, we bring our experience, our vulnerability, and mess to show you that you are not alone. Even though we know the path is never a straight line, we still seem to resist the messiness of it. We are not the experts and we don't have all the answers. We're here to learn, explore, and be with you on this journey. We hope this podcast inspires you to embrace the messy middle and gain the confidence to persevere. We're your co-hosts, Danielle and Casey. Join us as we turn our mess into success. It's just so fun. I'm having so much fun. Um, It was, um, I appreciated the fact that we really talked a lot about the whole process of it and the, the challenges and the grit, the grit to to stay committed to that goal when things aren't going well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think her story is incredible, and yeah, just that reminder that <laughs> there's a lot of uh, there's a, that that amount of rejection, that amount of what you know seeming failure, um, and yeah, I just I'm very inspired by her story. Yeah. And you know what I love too is um, part of what helped her, the process was listening to other like podcasts with other writers who were, who were just talking about um, that it wasn't an overnight success. And I really hope that her, her being on our podcast inspires a lot of writers out there that are um, in the same, in the same boat, in that same kind of mess in the middle. And um, they find some inspiration from her story. Yeah. Today on the Messy Medso podcast, we have Megan Tatey. Megan is a writer and editor running the company Wordlift. Her writing has appeared in the Huffington Post and Miss Magazine, among others. Her newest debut novel is Super Bloom, published by Zibby Books. She's working on her second novel, Champions for Breakfast, publishing in 2024. Megan lives in Western Massachusetts with her family. Please enjoy Megan Tatey. Uh, Meg, have you met Casey ever? I don't think we've met in person. Okay. Have we, Casey? I uh, I don't think we have. I know we're Facebook friends. Yes, it's nice <laughs> to meet you over Zoom, even though we live in the same town. <laughs> Thank you guys for um, not recording the video of this because I'm like fresh off of my my hike this morning and I did okay. not get dressed up in any way. <laughs> well. We are recording the video, but we're not going to show it. And I, I was just like, I'm in a sweatshirt. So I was okay, I good. was hoping that you would get the memo because yeah. this is totally come as you are. You it would know? be funny if you were in like an evening, you're like all dressed. <laughs> well, I know that you've been doing your book tours and, and I have, and I'm like, I hope, I, I, I hope that this is like, yes, part book tour, but we, but it's really about getting to know you and, and your whole process and congratulations, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind um, and lots of ups and downs. It looks a lot more glamorous than it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as things usually do, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We wanted to, uh, I don't know, I was talking to Danielle and like, I, I always wanted to do a podcast and it turns out Danielle and I have like so much in common. It, it keeps like popping out, but our favorite podcast is armchair expert. And I just, 
I think what I wanted to, to do, um, well, we wanted to collaborate, but why I love podcasts so much is that um, it, it feels very personal. Like I really love a good story and it, it feels personal in the sense that I can find ways to relate to people and their stories and their lived experiences. And so, um, and then we were talking about just kind of like transitions and the in-between of things. And um, we I'm like, let's just do, let's just do this. And so even before you came on, when you discover things, right? When you set off and take action in something, but then you're like learning and then yeah. you're like, oh, there's a better way to do it. And then maybe we do it this way. And then I keep telling Danielle, we're not, it's okay. We're not going to do it perfectly. Like, even though we know that this is a good way to do it, we're just going to try. We're just going to yeah. try. But we're taking I, baby steps towards. Yeah, taking baby goal. steps. But, but, you know, I, I'm a coach and I work with people really on a deeper level. But what I love about coaching is that connection with the person in front of me. And you're our third guest. And I, it's it's just fun getting to know people um in ways that are not surface right it's like what what is what is you know the deeper version of you yeah um because i just i think i i appreciate people's kind of struggles and challenges as well as their wins but it's yeah. like it, it just feels very real and human to me in ways that helps to at least allow me to not feel alone and like there's a sense of belonging there mm. of like oh okay yeah that that happens for you too well i think that and meg so that's really why one of the reasons i obviously wanted to interview you is i'm like i've sort of been on the sidelines of watching you through this whole process of of writing a novel and having it published and it's been really inspiring to watch and i think in the moments where i saw you maybe like not know if it was going to happen and just like again from my perspective I'm like of course this is gonna happen <laughs> you're working so hard it's gotta happen but I think yeah like we're really intrigued with that that story that process so if you I guess want to share a little bit with us like about who you are what you do and and then we'll just kind of yeah let the conversation go from there that sounds great um, thank you for having me as your third guest. <laughs> so um, my name is Megan Tady, and I live in East Hampton, Massachusetts with my husband and my two kids and my little library out front. Um, and I, my debut novel published on May 2nd, it's called Super Bloom. And it's a book that took eight years between when I first started writing it until now. And it was a really long journey. But what I'm also finding out is that most authors have pretty long journeys. Um, most authors have a novel or two in a drawer that never made it. Um, and when I first started out, I sort of, I imagined, I had heard those sor sort of stories, you know, I would read acknowledgments and someone said, this took me a decade. And I'd be like, why, loser? <laughs> um, but really, you know, I'm like, now I know you're, you know, I was running my own business as a writer and editor called Wordlift. I had two kids who are four and seven and writing this book for a long time was sort of on the edges of 
of my life. And it also just took me a long time to gain the confidence to call myself a writer, to really go after it in a really dedicated way and to get it right. You know, I, my whole life has been steeped in writing and words, whether, you know, from a young age to high school, to college, to my, all of my professional life, but I didn't know how to write a novel. And it was quite humbling to have to look at my first iterations and say, they're just not good enough yet. And to know that that didn't mean I was failing, it didn't need to be embarrassing, that's part of it. You know, that's the whole, you know, your your first drafts aren't going to be incredible. And you have to be humble enough to sort of say that. And it's scary because it's hard to admit, like it's not, it's just not good enough yet. So I had to work on it for many years and set it aside for a while, bring it back out when it came to getting an agent it took a long time. You know, Danielle and I are in a women's group together and periodically I would come with really exciting news, you know, oh, I've, I'm long listed for a contest. I'm, I've got 10 agents interested, but ultimately a lot of that was rejection mostly, you know, so having to navigate that and um, keep after it and decide if this was something I really wanted to go after. So I'll just pause there. That's sort of my little, like, little nutshell. Obviously, I've known you for many years and you had, you were running your business as a writer. Did you, in the back of your head, always have the idea, like, I think I want to write a book someday? Like, was that, was that in your head or were you like, no, I'm cool with just, you know, the work I'm doing? I really wanted to be an investigative reporter coming out of college And I tried that for many years, probably even before we knew each other. And when I first moved, I grew up in Nebraska, college in Missouri. And when I moved to Northampton, I was really trying to get um, a job at a newspaper. Um, And I, I graduated at a time when all these newspapers were folding because they couldn't figure out how to monetize an online platform. So a lot of big publications were downsizing, were folding, jobs were scarce in journalism. And a lot of the jobs were in community media, which was great, but I was getting paid like 10 cents a word. So I was doing a bunch of other jobs, waitressing, working at the Northampton Y, and I would on my lunch breaks, go into my car with my little recorder and my cell phone and call people who I was, you know, I was writing articles and um, interview them and go home and type these stories and pitch them. And even that was a lot of rejection. Um, In that time, I always thought I was going to write a nonfiction book and I even pitched two um, to agents and, and publications and, and small presses. And I thought it would be sort of narrative nonfiction, like a narrative journalism. I love storytelling. I love interviewing people. I was reading a lot of literary fiction at the time and came out of college thinking, you know, to write a novel, you needed to write like Virginia Woolf or something. And I didn't, while I felt like I should be reading those books, I didn't see my voice in them. I didn't see how I could ever possibly do that. One of the books that sort of changed that for me uh, was a book called Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple that came out, I think, in 2012. And it was so funny and it was propulsive and interesting and clever and very accessible, but really well written. And I was sort of like, huh, that's really interesting. 
I want to write a book like that. I want it to be funny and entertaining and well-written. And even still, I started, I started taking local writing classes and short story, you know, writing short stories, but I still doubted my own ability to write a novel and to sort of say out loud, like, I'm going to write a novel. It felt so absurd. It felt like everyone is sort of like, yeah, I'm just writing a book. You know, like I just, I felt very self-conscious about it and what people would think of me, you know, I don't know. Even as I was dabbling in it initially, I I had a hard time voicing it to people um, and my community. At the same time, a lot of my writing and work came very easily to me. You know, whether I was in high school, sort of immediately on this, the newspaper staff. In college, I wrote like one article and they were like, you, you're, you're a staff reporter. And, and so while I was also like, I don't know if I can do this, Another part of like the ego side was sort of like, how hard could writing a novel be? You know, I wrote my first iteration in a, in a year and I queried agents thinking that I was going to be someone's unicorn and like an agent was going to like fall over themselves, like into the hallway being like, I found her. I heard from no one, you know, I heard it was totally humbling. It was, you know, again, like it wasn't good enough. And so I had these two sides of myself sort of duking it out, like the side that was like, how hard could this be? And the other side that was like, I don't know if I can do it. And actually Mm -hmm. neither of those are that conducive to actually getting it done because you need the middle, the middle part that's curious. Like, I actually think this is hard and I want to learn it. And the other side that's like, I'm not sure if I can, but I'm going to try. So I had to kind of get those two sides to come together, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, very, very much. And even as you're talking, it's, you know, the theme is that 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 the first draft, right, it, it's like learning the whole process of learning and, and becoming competent and um, learning a new skill essentially is what, you know, you were learning the skill of being a published author, right? So there's that sort of we don't know what we don't know, right? And then we're like, oh, okay, so it, it maybe it's an easy thing, right? And being able to write the first draft of anything is a feed in of, of itself, right? There's success right there. And then the emotional labor that happens when you've almost birthed something, right? So this is like the expression of you. And then someone says, well, it's not good enough, right? Yeah. And then the impact, I, I can imagine, you know, I mean, I think all of us have felt that kind of we have something that we feel really proud of, or that's been really challenging for us. And we, we get through it. And then that vulnerability of someone saying, uh, this, this isn't right. And then in that moment, that that like that, that choice of saying, how do I process this? What am I going to do with this? And also, I, you know, I'm just noticing the the age, right? The eight years also lines up with you as a mother, right? So like, yep. and being a mother and a parent in and of itself is vulnerable because, you know, we're like, am I doing it right? And so all of those things and being in that space of not good enough. Am I doing it right? Almost like I'm, I'm hearing kind of imposter syndrome of like, who do I think I am to call myself a writer? And yeah. that dance between the two sides, right? The ego saying, like in, in my case, the ego would be telling you that you can't do this, right? And then you're like that truth and, and understanding of yourself and that kind of passion and purpose of like, 
no, this is happening. I'm doing this. And uh, just the, the emotional dance of what that was, I, I can only imagine how challenging that, that time was for you. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of fear when you go after something with your whole heart and your whole self. And I don't think I had ever totally done that before where I had worked this hard with the very real possibility that it wouldn't work out. And um, that felt very scary. You know, what if I work so hard at this and I, what I'm producing, I think is the best it could possibly be. And it still doesn't get picked up. How do I, how do I confront that? And so for a long time that, you know, it, it was getting rejected. And of course there are lots of reasons for that, you know, timing, you know, all sorts of reasons why a book doesn't actually make it to marketplace, but I had to really, it almost sort of strips at some point you kind of are then in the fear and you're just like, well, you know, okay. I have put all of my energy and attention and focus on this and it might not happen. So why am I doing it? Oh, I'm doing it actually because I love it. I love the actual writing. My best days are days when I've done a little bit of writing, even with Paw Patrol in the background <laughs> and I'm upstairs dashing off a few sentences, or I'm able to have like a luxurious three hour writing session. I'm a better mom and parent and person in line at the grocery store and, you know, partner to my husband. I just have a buoyancy to my, my day and I pine for more time to write. And so on those days that felt really dark and bleak, I, and my husband would also help to remind me, you know, you're doing this because you love the craft itself. And I'm so grateful that I discovered that I actually now can't imagine life without this pursuit, you know, and I, I've had a lot of people say like, I can't imagine, you know, writing, you know, thinking about your characters and your plot while you're, you know, doing the dishes and your kids like what's for dinner. I have found that having this book or, and now I'm writing my second <laughs> allows me to sort of float above the fray of the drudgery of motherhood so that I can be playing Hot Wheels for the 80th time <laughs> while I'm also on a different plane thinking about my characters. And it doesn't mean I'm not present with my kids, but it also just gives me something else to, to sort of hold on to. I, I, I don't know if that makes sense. And um, just sort of elevates my day. And I can't imagine not doing that anymore, whether I'm published or not published. Like it just is something I really need. Yeah. It feels like when you talk about it, like it's almost like meditative to do that there and that there's this like release and that, it, yeah, it, it sounds like one of those things, like once you start doing, how could you possibly <laughs> give up? Right. Um, I also, I really love what you said about you know, kind of like the two, the two sides of you, like in, and then how you like in the middle became curious, like that feels like such a great tool for how to deal with those places in the middle that are really difficult. And you don't know 
what to do or you're, you know, or you're struggling and you have those two voices in your head. I just really love that. That's like where you came to, like just a place of curiosity. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I noticed too, which was, I love curiosity. Interesting. And I, I did a Ted talk called the value of curiosity and, and, oh, cool. and, and I feel the same Megan because I'm like, Oh, I did a Ted, Ted talk and I'm like super feel super pretentious and <laughs> silly about it. But I'm like, if you want my story, it's in a Ted talk here and blah, blah, blah. But you know, curiosity really can help you move through fear because, um, you're, you shift what that experience is. Curiosity allows us to be present. And as you're talking too, it's like, I think you you change your relationship to the process of writing. So yeah. in some aspects, what I'm hearing is that it was about the outcome, right? It was about yeah. the outcome of being published. And that really didn't light you up when you weren't getting published, right? So right. when the outcome wasn't happening that you were expecting or hoping for, there's disappointment there. And how you have support systems, like fantastic for your husband to say, like, you know, you let you love writing. So yeah. you shifted, you shifted sort of the relationship that you had to the process, the project itself to, to um, be present and, and, and be a pleasurable experience. And it was that meditative practice. It was like being able to um, like tools to cope with your life. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't all look meditative all the time. You know, like <laughs> I, I was, it's, and it's a, it's a interesting balance because I'm trying to stay connected to why I'm doing it while also mm. being really ambitious. You know, I, I am an ambitious person. And so I was really going after it, especially, especially in the last couple of years, you know, and learning all I could reading differently, retweaking my query letter to, to get an agent, um, mining my contacts, forming writing groups. Like, so trying to, you know, have the balance of like ambition and going after something and, um, really staying connected to like, I know, and also I, I do this cause I love the writing. And so, and some days one outweighs the other, right. You know, some, some days you get three rejections and you sort of you're kind of like, oh, I, you really want that outcome. You really want that to be published. Um, and it's tricky. And there were a lot of ups and downs, a lot of like almost there's a lot of tears. And now that I'm on the other side of it and I am published, I'm noticing this side of things is also still so fraught with ups and downs, so fraught with rejection and challenges and I've been sort of floored by how easily I am being thrown by the highs and thrown by the lows. And again, really having to figure out how to sort of stay steady and try to stay connected to the writing and why I do this. And it can be really easy to, it's just a, it's a total mind. It just screws with your mind, you know? Mm -hmm. And so some days are better than others. And my best days now are sort of, you know, when I can do my meditation in the morning, when I'm connecting with gratitude, when I don't have a scarcity mentality when I'm not checking my Goodreads, you know, it's, <laughs> it's really, and I wasn't expecting this, this part, I sort of like, it's done. And I kind of thought publication day, I was going to like run across this like marathon ribbon and like ticker tape parade, you know, it's going to be like a parade and everyone was gonna be like, Whoa! and it's not like that. 
and some days feel better than others, but it's quite hard. <laughs> what do you feel like when you would hit those and you had rejection after rejection, like, are there things that really like helped propel you forward again, like watching it from the outside? That was again, very inspiring to me. Cause I'm like, yeah, I probably would have given up. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I guess like, can you explain, like, is it just that drive? Is it just that ambition? Or do you feel like there were things or people or resources that you had that like kept you going, like kept you really believing like, no, this is like, this is the path I should go on. Like giving up is not like, did you ever just be like, I just want to give up. I'm done. Yes. (laughs) And I, I would say that with everyone around me and my husband knowing that that wasn't true and just sort of let me sort of go on. But this is going to sound kind of strange, but I would, so say I get, I, you know, I'm checking my email, insane amount, refreshing, refreshing, and I get a rejection and instantly you sort of plummet and you cry or you text your writing group or you whatever, and you have a real moment of, or sometimes like a day, you know, it's you, depending on what, what the news is following that rejection and that low, I would actually get a high. I would get, I would get like really low. And then I would be like, you can't count me out, baby. Like I would just get this like high, this charge of like the worst just happened, Mm. you know, and now I'm, and I'm like, okay. And I'm going to re I'm just going to keep going. And something about that. I don't know. I would just get charged up again. And I just turns out like I couldn't be told. No, I I don't know. I mean, I, (laughs) so I don't know if that makes any sense, but then I would kind of come back from it reinvigorated and like ready to keep going and hopeful again, Um, which sounds sort of like a sick relationship (laughs) with, with bad news, but that's sort of what would happen for me. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think, I think with anything, right. We, we brace against what we are most afraid of, right. So thinking about rejection, many, many people are afraid of rejection in any capacity, right? Like it's, it's uh it's, it, it's an emotional thing. And I think when we try to avoid it, and it becomes way bigger than what it actually is. And I think what you're talking about is that maybe the first one, you might've been down for a longer period of time, right? It might've, it might've taken you out for weeks or months, right? And then, but as you continue to stay in it, right? And, and, and stay like, realize that, yeah, you were rejected, but you're still healthy. You're breathing, your family's healthy. Like, the world is still turning the world didn't fall apart for you and that with each practice of it it's like it's that muscle memory right where the things are really really hard until we've had the experience of it and then and then you can see wow here's how i cope with this process right because it and then also it it just sounds it for me and in, in in hearing um your whole experience of it is that you found the ways to stay purposeful, stay connected to the why. And, and you was as much a part of a a part of it as the rejection. So that again, um, having both and to be able to, um, this is happening and that little glimmer becomes probably bigger, right? The glimmer of hope becomes a lot bigger as you, 
um, it's it's very, very inspiring because and then it's painful, the stories that we tell ourselves in those moments of rejection. And I call it the collapse because it's not just this rejection. It's like everything else <laughs> I'm not good yeah. at. Right. It's like <laughs> it's not even just this this thing that I want to go after. It's like everything else isn't working like everything else is wrong. And so the yeah. the 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 mental kind of agility that you're talking about when you are really putting yourself out there to do something very, very big. Yeah. It's, it sounds like that was and is still so important and a part of your process because anytime we're doing something big like this, uh, it's like failure is right there. Failure is right there. Yeah. And, and how do we fail forward, right? Yeah. It's, it's using it as a learning experience, using curiosity of like, okay, well, what worked and what didn't work? And it's also not personal. Yeah. And I, you know, I started seeking out stories of writers who had failed and really connecting with, um, you know, the, lots of podcasts and stories of, of writers who had been on more arduous journeys than me, or, you know, just had those stories of, of resilience and grit. And I think we get hit over the head with these overnight success stories in all sorts of industries, including publishing, you know, the 20 year old who wrote a novel in four months and is now, you know, on Oprah. <laughs> um, and so we sort of market reasons your book might not be right right now, agent reasons, whether they're, you know, they've just taken on another client whose book is similar to yours. You know, there's just all sorts of reasons. And it was so helpful to hear those stories and to begin to be like, oh, a lot of the books that are out on the shelves aren't the best writers. They're the people who stuck with it. And there's that, there's this like common phrase that it only takes one yes in publishing, which is true, but it also takes you, you know, that's, that's a little bit passive in my mind because you're waiting for someone to say yes to you when you're also needing to say yes every single day of you doing this, no matter what's going on. So that also gives, it's not so passive. It gives you a little bit more active energy behind it. So you're not just waiting for someone to be like, Bing, you know, <laughs> and it, and it can be years in some cases, and it can be many, many books and not how you envisioned it. Yeah. That idea of like, yep, this thing that like, we're so afraid of our nervous system thinks is going to like kill us, you know, or throw us out, we'll get thrown out of the tribe. And then you realize like, oh, okay. Like actually I'm, yeah, I'm still here. And I, I've had moments like that where like that strength, like you hit the lowest low and then you somehow float out of it. Like I'm stronger now, but like, I think that that we're so afraid of hitting that low generally. So I, again, like your story is so inspiring because it just proves like that we have, like it, it is, there are these tools and things that we build upon to build that strength, to be able to take those blows, to get to the place, you know, that we want to go. And like your story is to me, um, I'm so much more drawn to the story of somebody like that fight that somebody has to go through to get to that, you know, that goal. And, and like you said, it's like, it's not like you're done. Now you have like the goal keeps moving a little further, but to me, that's way more inspiring than the person who like, yeah, just, yeah. writes something and they're, <laughs> they're 20 years old, right. It gets found right away. And you're like, what, what was that? 
Yeah. yeah. Like to me, what, what you've built for yourself um, and the example that you can give to people is like, it's, it's worth that in so many ways, whether you get the novel published or not, how you've grown as, as a human, as a partner, as a parent, as a friend is, yeah, you've, you've built that resilience and that that's really like the beauty to me and in, in your story. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and Megan, you what you also described is is the the practice of taking your power back. Yeah. Right. So you talked about seeking for that that kind of validation, that affirmation outside of you, right? Like opening up, waiting for the yes, the yes, the yes. And then the shift from you no, know, the yes is from within you, right? Yeah. It's the yes that comes from your your power, your essence. And that your um that i I call it like getting getting your center of gravity back inside of your body Mm. as opposed to just which we often do we often do as as humans is that we're looking for outside um approval right we're looking we're looking outside of us for people to tell us that we're doing it right or or we're not doing it right and that is a very uh it's a just a very it's not a good place to be right because we become dependent on what other people are saying or telling us for our own kind of happiness our own um sense of self and it's it's not a sustainable thing if you are really finding your own pathway to forge something right Mm -hmm. that that hasn't that didn't exist, right? So Super Bloom d- didn't exist. Right. And now it does. And you can actually buy it at the store, right? Like <laughs> it's like, and it's it's on um, it's getting really amazing reviews. And like, did you ever I, I know you had kind of envisioned that, right? Like that was kind of okay, I want to be a published author, right? But as you're here now, right, and it's happened, have you really taken it in? Yes. I've had some very surreal moments, you know, just seeing it in place, even, you know, driving down Cottage Street and seeing it in the window of Book Moon (laughs) is so, it's such a thrill. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm having to also make sure that I stay connected to those moments Mm-hmm. And not to the moments that are like, oh, but why isn't it there? <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, my, my mom died in November from pancreatic cancer and it was a four month, very quick illness and it took her very fast. And so I'm promoting a book that's about grief, even though it's a comedic, you know, rom-com in a lot of ways, it's also about grief as I'm very actively grieving. And I have been also writing my second book, which is due next week about a mother and daughter. I'm in a strange place, you know, headspace wise. Mm-hmm. And I I was listening to a podcast with Glennon Doyle the other day. And I, I realized that as I was sort of gearing up for this like tour and book stuff that I was sort of like, okay, I have to set the grief down. I can't, I can't, grieve. I I can't do that and do what's going to be required of me with this book. Mm-hmm. It's going to be too much. And I don't talk about it very often in podcasts. Every once in a while, I, I'll mention my mom, but mostly I don't. And so 
I've had a really hard time connecting with the joy of this publication. Mm-hmm. And as I was listening to this podcast, that was incredible um, with the poet Andrea Gibson, I think mm-hmm. is her name. She was like, when you, when you tamp down grief, <clears throat> there's a, there's like a kink in your hose and it means you're tamping down joy too. And it all gets stuck, you know? And so I, I've kind of come into this publication, you know, this season and I'm like, this is this thing I've been fighting for and working toward for years. And I'm having a hard time accessing the joy I thought I would feel the, you know, the, just the elation, this, you know, just, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's here, it's here. And when I, when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I, I think that might be why I've been trying to set down the grief, like, okay, mom, I'll get back to grieving you. I've got to do this thing. And while I've done that, I've like (laughs) shut it all off. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yes. I mean, yeah. and, and it just like kind of blew my mind the other day because I've been, why am I finding this so strange, this process, you know, like not how I thought it would be. And I think that's partly why. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're talking, right, that what comes to mind is this idea around bittersweet. Um, and Susan Cain wrote the book about bittersweet is like there's joy and the grief in yeah. the same in the same moment and we are you know different aspects of our lives and um we're in oftentimes transition for a lot of things like the 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 gr- and and grief is real and grief is there even when so when you lose someone in the physical sense but also grieving the process in the past that you were trying to become a writer, right? Yeah. Like that was very much a part of your life for eight years. And that was almost like an identity as well. And then you transition into, right? As you're becoming transitioned into this aspect of it too. And I think the, the sort of ambition and the drive to, to kind of keep going, right? That resilience, that grit, we, we can kind of get caught up in the doing part of it right because the action is necessary and then um when we take a pause right we're kind of hit in those moments and um just i'm just honoring your process meg um i'm sorry for your loss and uh it's like timing is very very interesting right it's like i don't life right life and i heard the other day you know on armchair expert Dax Shepard was talking to Robert Downey Jr. And he was like, I think life is a beautiful tragedy. Yeah. And yeah, you know, both the bittersweetness of it, right? Like the joy and the grief and the sadness, they, it all exists. And if we shut one out, then we shut it all out. Yeah. I mean, you know, my professional dream has been coming true and it's colliding with utter heartbreak and, Mm -hmm. um, and you can't control it. You know, you can't orchestrate it to be what you want it to be. It just is now. Yeah, it's been a fascinating, strange, wonderful, really sad time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the idea too of like, no matter what the circumstance, whether, you know, obviously the loss of a of a parent or anyone close to us is is hugely devastating. Even when we get that thing, that we've always wanted. Life is still life. You're still a mom who's feeding the kids and having kids having tantrums and bring them to school. Like all of the things still happen. Like life still is 
like it's still messy it's still it's not like yes you you get to go on your book tour but like oh my god what did it take to even get you on that book tour (laughs) yeah you know with your family and and you know possibly friends helping out and all these things and it's like yes there are these beautiful moments and it it does sound like you're able to to cherish those and and remember and like yeah when you see your book in a store in a local (laughs) storefront like how incredible and just to like take that piece in and and yeah nothing is gonna fix being human (laughs) yeah you know and that's I think again that yeah that's just like the journey of life and that you know yeah we think achieving this goal yeah we're set right right (laughs) yeah the goalpost keeps moving and yeah life it just keeps trudging on yeah Uh, exactly and I and I also think the practice of permission right? Like, like, like being intentional to overcome the challenges, but also being intentional to celebrate the wins when we do get there, even yeah. if it's for a moment, because the, the reality is, and the truth is, is that you, you did it. Right. You yeah. It. Yeah. I know. I know. And <laughs> um, I think one of the coolest things that has come out of this is, is the process of seeing it with my kids, you know, mm. and that they, they have watched me work really hard at something their whole lives. You know, they've seen me work at this and it happened. You know, they've seen me cry in the kitchen over it. They began, you know, in my acknowledgements, I say, you know, they started um, walking around the house saying, we're going to kick anybody's head in who doesn't like mom's book. You know, they were like, yeah. it was hilarious. You know, they're <laughs> just like, why wouldn't anyone like it? We're going to kick their heads. And you know, like, just <laughs> so cute and funny. And they're seeing it in the library. They're seeing it in the store. They're so proud. One of the key things that I think happened in our family unit to shift things a little, and also to allow me to take myself more seriously do you, do you notice how often we use as moms, we use the word sneak. I'm going to, can you sneak away? Like, Hey, can you sneak out tonight? Can you sneak away? I'm going to sneak here. And I would be like, I'm going to sneak some writing in. Mm. And for a long time, the writing was sort of on the edges of my life. And as I became more serious about this pursuit, I kind of started changing that. And my husband and I didn't have a total like exact conversation about it, but we just started shifting that this is a this writing thing and like being in an imagination is valued in our household and mm-hmm. mom, you know mom's going it's sunday and mom's going to her studio in eastworks to write and i'm not hiding it i'm not sneaking away we're talking about it very openly or i'm you know oh i'm no i can't do that right now i'm going to go upstairs i have an idea i need to write it mm-hmm. um And that has opened up not it it places it really, you know, it's like central to our family unit. And it also opens up for my kids that writing and and creativity and being in your imagination is, is important. Mm -hmm. And it's to be valued. And, and then, you know, just today, Lyle was like, my daughter was like, what are you? What's your next chapter? What it, you know, what are you working on? What's your book cover going to look like for the next one? They see me read. I'm reading all the time, you know, and, and this morning I was reading over breakfast, you know, and what's happening in your book. Um, And I, I love that. I love that that is now part of our world and I hope it continues to be. 
Yeah. I like the idea of like taking the guilt out of it too. Cause yeah. I, yeah, as a mom, like, Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be, you know, with my kids and, and playing with them and doing this and making sure dinner's on the table and all these other things. And um, I love that. I think that's really beautiful and what a great example. Yeah. For your kids and how, like, that's great that they're excited for you and yeah, they've got your back. So it's really beautiful. They do. They do. I mean, you know, and there's that sort of, it's not real that we can, you can do it all. You know, there's, there's always stuff that then falls away, you know, or I mean, our laundry pile is massive at all times. The house is messy. Um, and I have like moment, you know, moments where I'm like, I do that. I'd go full laundry or I like 20 minutes of writing. And I choose the writing a lot of days, unless we're like out of underwear. Um, so I I can relate. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing so much of this. I wonder, do you want to share a little bit about the book? Is there anything? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Super Bloom is about a massage therapist in Vermont who's about to get fired from the luxury spa where she works. And she's grieving the loss of her love, Samuel. Um, and she has one chance to save her job. That's to get a glowing review from the most demanding client, famous romance novelist, Carmen Bronze. Carmen breezes into town. Massage goes haywire. And Carmen sort of bullies my character, Joan, into dishing dirt about the spa so she can write her next bestseller. And along the way, Joan begins to wonder if she should be the one to write that book instead. And chaos ensues. (laughs) (laughs) So good. I had so much fun reading it. And I was everyone I and I told you this too. I'm like, I read it so slow, even though you could probably read it in like one, like it's so good you would want to read it really quick, but I just didn't want it to end. I'm like, no, I love this. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's so fun. I love that. It's yeah. it, it, it's gonna be on my list when we go away for the summer. I'll be on Yay, the beach. It's a good, it. it's a good summer book. Yeah, it's a good beach read. So where yeah. where can um the audience find your book? Anywhere books are sold, you know, I love the indies. So if you have independent bookstores, you can go in, order it from them. And if they don't stock it, you can ask them to stock it. Um, And it's also, uh, you know, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble, all the places. So um, yeah. And you can um, follow me on Instagram at Meg Tady. And um, I'm still on tour a bit this summer. So my events are on my website, megantady.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening and joining us on this journey today. If you liked what you heard, please follow and subscribe to the Messy Mezzo podcast.